All right. For the last couple of weeks, um, I've been talking about freedom, right? The freedom that Christians are to experience when we live in the reality that the eternal life that we have in Christ is something that's now. It's something that's today. That eternal life isn't just a future, future promise, it's a present reality. That, um, that from the moment that the Lord breathes spiritual life into us, that we are now living in an eternal relationship with God now. And, and when we get that, it changes everything. Sometimes we just think, well, eternal life starts then, and then I kind of really live with God. But Scripture says, no, eternal life begins the day God breathes life into you, and that today, this day, April 21st, you are living in that eternal relationship with God. It's going gonna, it's gonna to develop, and it's going to grow, and it's going to change, but we're living in eternal life today. And that eternal life that we're living in today is intended to bring freedom into our lives. A freedom from the stuff of the world. That we begin to recognize that this world is dying and it's, and it's, uh, it's going away and scripture says someday it's gonna, it's all gonna be destroyed and the only thing that lasts will be a new heaven and a new earth and God's people, uh, as far as lasts in a good situation. And that, um, that, that everything that we see here is temporary. And that the things of this world are dying and, and they shouldn't hold us back anymore. That right now, a lot of times we live with kind of change on in our life. We lack freedom. Because we're still chained by thinking of the world and things of the world. But when we enter into eternal life today, it's God's plan that we begin to think differently. And so we've been kind of exploring that in the last couple of weeks as we've been, as we've been um, getting together on Sunday mornings. And, and the last time we talked, we, we talked about freedom from ownership to management. And we talked about the biblical term for management is stewardship. Remember, tracking with me, remember that? We talked about a duplex. That makes sense. If you, didn't listen to that, if you haven't heard that sermon, I challenge you to go on the podcast and listen to it. It didn't cost you anything, um, and it will bless you, I believe. Because we talked about this, this um, freedom that comes when we change in our mindsets, in our lives, from being owners to being management. We found that, that God, according to Scripture, really is the owner of everything. And that He has given us the privilege and the responsibility of managing His resources for Him, But here's the component sometimes we don't get. For him as we live in relationship with him. Sometimes we we feel like God gives us responsibility and then he somehow drifts off somewhere into some heavenly catacomb and says just survive on your own. But that's not the way the scriptures point it out. That God gives us responsibility, but then we're supposed to live in this eternal relationship. It's not something that the return relationship doesn't start when we die. The eternal relationship starts today, the day I know Christ. And that now we manage his stuff as we live with Him, and He gives us guidance and direction. You know, we as managers, when we talk about this, go from being this wrong idea where man's on top and God's down here, and that's how we live most of our life, generally, before Christ, and even after Christ, sometimes we don't get it, because we have this wrong thinking, that, that, man, that, that somehow we're up here in life, we're kind of really Lord, and God's kind of down here. He's part of it, but He's not really in charge. And then when we really come to understand this living an eternal life relationship, what we do is we switch positions with God. That He becomes the owner, and we become under His care, and under His leadership, and under His protection. That now we live under the care of God. Not in a, some people would say, well, I want to be on top. Well, God will let you, but that's not a good place to be. He says, I want to be Lord, I want to be in control, so that I can provide for you, and I can take care of you, and I can protect you. And we found that when we live in that relationship, that it's a very freeing situation to be in. 
right? Living under the care, protection, and provision of the Lord. That, that we found out then this, that He holds ultimate responsibility. That the weight of the world is on His shoulders instead of on our own. So many times when people come to Christ, they say this to me, they say, it's like the weight of the world just lifted from my shoulders. That happened because you went like this. God became in charge, you came under His control, and now the ultimate responsibility rests on His shoulders. And when we rest in this new situation, it's an incredibly freeing way to live. It's a, there's freedom that comes from understanding that we live in that relationship. So that's what we've been, where we've been so far. Now this week, I want us to take a step further. Or maybe I should say it this way, I want to take a step deeper. And I want us to think about um, what other freedoms come from living today in this eternal relationship with God and therefore being set free primarily from some of the thinking and the values of the world because the world, we said, is what? It's passing away and it's not eternal. So I want to be today, I want to be set free from the thinking that's passing away so I can be thinking the way God wants me to think in an eternal way because that's the way I'm going to live for all of eternity. If eternal life starts today, I want to live in that capacity today and be growing and growing and growing in that instead of trying to develop in a capacity of a mindset that Scripture says is going to fade away and is going to die because the world is passing away. So today, let's consider um, something that I think is incredibly practical, uh, something that I think affects us every single day. It affects me, and it's this, in the idea of freedom. Freedom from, we're going to go from something to something, like we did the last couple times, freedom from worry and greed to abundance and generosity. That's what we want to talk about today. Freedom from worry and greed, and we're going to talk about kind of thinking, value systems, um, mindsets, from worry and greed to abundance and generosity. So kind of focusing in on freedom in regard to finance and things. And I'm not going to be real, real specific today. I might do that in a few weeks. Specific, maybe even next week, talk about some, some specifics about how we would live to get us that freedom. But today we're going to talk about the, kind of the underlying thinking in this whole situation. Because here's my thought if I ask the question. Who wants to be free from worry and greed and live with abundance and generosity? I do. That's eternal thinking. I don't want to be bound by, by greed. I don't want to be bound by worry. I want to live in the freedom of the abundance of the Lord. And I'll tell you this, God desires abundance for us. But He desires abundance for a reason. We're going to talk about that today, so that we can be generous. You see, as stewards or managers who live under God's care, managing His resources for His glory, you know, as we live in this relationship with Him, it's God's plan for us, our lives, to be marked by abundance. And therefore, as a result, to be marked then by generosity. Um, that's God's plan for us. As we live with God and we understand Him, we assume His mindset, and we live in His ways and we experience His blessings, what happens is we become more like God. And if you think what God is like, He has all abundance. Scripture says that everything is God's. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He, the, it says the gold is his and the silver is his. The earth is his. Everything is his. So God has all abundance. And not only does he have all abundance, God is then, therefore, completely generous. If you want to define God, God, generosity defines God. For God so loved the world that he gave. 
When he wanted to define who he is, he says, I'm a God who's a giver. Scripture says he gives to the righteous and the unrighteous. He makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That he gives us everything. So when we walk with God and with eternal relationship, he wants us to become more like him. And becoming more like him is becoming more like him in abundance and generosity because that's who God is. But let's be honest. Let's look in the mirror and look around. When I honestly look at the lives of those who call themselves Christ followers, including myself, remember I say this often, when I point my finger, I understand that there's three more pointing back at me. Right? And so when I think of honestly Christ followers, I often see lives marked more more by worry and greed than I see lives marked by abundance and generosity. And this is what I know for certain based about, about that. Lives of abundance and generosity are lives of freedom. They really are. Lives of abundance and generosity are lives of freedom, while lives of worry and greed are lives lacking freedom and lacking joy. But we need to understand something today. Our culture, maybe all cultures, has, have taught us some things that we generally just accept as true, some ideas and some values but ultimately rob people of freedom that Jesus intends for them to have. We believe things like this, that more is always better. There's some really cute commercials on TV right now for AT&T. I think they're awesome commercials because they're incredibly effective. They just communicate wrong thinking. And it's a guy, he's usually sitting at a table with usually four kids. And he says things like this to the kids. One of them, he says, is faster better than slower? And they're like, yeah, 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 fast is better. So he says, what's, what's fast? And the one kid says, a cheetah. And, the other, and then he says, what's slow? And he says, my grandma's slow. <laughs> and so he goes, well, what should we do? He says, well, we can tape a cheetah to grandma's back. Because fast is better. So if we tape a cheetah to grandma's back, that must be better. Um, but the one that really struck me as I was thinking about the sermon, it just came into my mind. I thought, you know what? We communicate things that are that are the opposite of what Jesus communicates, but if we package them in the right thing, they seem so cute and we just embrace them. And it's this one that says, more is always better. And in one of the commercials, he's sitting at a table with four little kids, and he says, is more better? And there's a little girl, and she's funny, and she, go, she goes, well, yes, more is always better. More is better than less, because less is not as good as more. And more is better than less. And she just keeps saying the same thing over and over, because more is better than less. And she goes, and if there's less, then your parents might like you have any more, so more is better than less. And she says the same thing over and over, and he goes, simple, isn't it? And so we believe things like that, that more is always better. We, we, there, there, it becomes ingrained in our heart, and we believe, believe other things. We believe things like this, that things can make me happy. That cars and motorcycles and homes and boats and good careers, and that, that, that can ultimately make me happy and joyful. We believe those things. We believe other things. We believe statements like this, that enough is just a little bit more. You know, and I've talked about this before, because I was so struck when I moved to Ozaki County, that if you go downtown Cedarburg to the Rivoli Theater, and you walk across the street at the Rivoli, there's a, 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 a concrete park bench right downtown, the heart of the city, at the main intersection, and it says, engraved in the back, enough is just a little bit more. That that is what it, that's the motto of Ozaki County, maybe the motto of our world. But we put it up in big letters and, and put it in the middle of our city to remember, we put it in stone, that enough is just a little bit more. Now understand, as we accept 
as truth some of these things, as, as, you know, as we do that, um, they lead us, they can lead us to more harm than good. And I've, I've watched it, and Scripture would say it's true, that they can rob us of freedom, hinder the freedom that God wants us to have, freedom from the thinking of the world that Jesus offers to people who live in eternal life. Friends, Jesus wants us to be free in all areas, including our ideas about money and possessions. So, today, let's turn to a section of Scripture where Jesus teaches about this. Where he teaches about, it's going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. He teaches about freedom from some of the world's views about what makes life, what we think makes life full and meaningful in regard to money and possessions. And we're going to read a pretty lengthy portion of Scripture, Luke chapter 12. By the way, if, you're, if you normally are used to grabbing a, a, a Bible from the rack in front of you in the pews, there was a, a, a mistake in our ordering. And there's no racks on the new chairs, and those are on, on order and will be here soon to be installed. So every other chair will have a rack coming up here in a little while, hopefully within a couple weeks. So Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, we're going to read all the way to 34. So follow along with me as we read this story. It's a, it's a cool story. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, and him is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed, I like the way he says that, man, <laughs> I used to talk like that a lot when I was a teenager, oh man, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stored up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Pastor Chris, I think you were just talking about that. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat or, to, or your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world are, are eagerly seek. But your Father knows what you need, that you need these things. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfading treasure in heaven 
where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice something about this story. Jesus finds himself in a situation where some people around him want him to help them settle a dispute about how to divide up an inheritance. Obviously, there's some kind of dispute about how to divide the inheritance up, and and obviously they're probably arguing about it. And so they say to themselves, you know, let's go to the teacher, let's go to Jesus and find some help. He'll tell us what we should give to whom. Because obviously what they're very concerned about is who's going to get what. That obviously the what was so important to them that they went to Jesus and said, help us divide the inheritance. Somebody's probably saying, that person's getting more than my fair share, I want more because they're not giving it all to me. And so they're arguing about it probably. So Jesus fields the question, and he uses a situation to teach some broad ideas about money and possessions. Not specific to-dos, not about percentages and, and ways to maybe manage or to save, but some general broad ideas about money and possessions. And interestingly, I like in the story, he never settles the matter for them. He just leaves that, he gives them the broad ideas and he leaves them to, to settle it for themselves. You know? And so in his teaching here, we find, what I think we find is something on how to move from bondage to freedom in this area. That he talks about these broad ideas and I look at him and I say, wow, that really shows us how to look, move from the control of the things of the world to God's kind of thinking, God's kind of perspective. So in this bondage where, where stuff is so valuable that we will ar- we'll argue with each other and we'll go to the teacher for instructions to stuff not gripping our hearts anymore. It's not that important to us anymore. So what's he do? He starts by telling them a story. He calls it a parable. A parable is simply a story that has a spiritual message, a spiritual application to it. And so he tells the story of this rich farmer who was so blessed that at harvest time, um, his barns were not big enough to hold all of his crops. So it says he tears down his old barns and he builds bigger ones. In fact, it says that he has so much that he had enough for years to come, it says, so that now he could just do what? It says he could relax, he could eat, drink, and be merry. He's in a spot where I got everything I need for a very long time. You know, what our society would say is the ultimate goal. He reached the apex of of human existence. Financial freedom, early retirement. That's where he's at. He's got it all. And he doesn't have to worry about years and years and years to come. Now, you would think, in telling that story, Jesus would be using this guy as a good example. You would think he would use this guy and say, look, this is the good example, the way we should be. That we should be, you know, financially smart. We should be savers. The kind of people that our culture looks up to, maybe all cultures look up to, kind of the rich and the successful. That's the way we ought to be. But it's interesting when we look at this story, Jesus doesn't use this guy as a good example. Instead, he uses him as a bad example. And you say, why? But, you know, why is it? Well, I want you to realize something as we talk about this today. I think this is important to say out of the, out of the, out of the beginning, that... He doesn't use him as a bad example because he's rich. He doesn't say there's something wrong with having riches. Christians have made the mistake for a very long time of somehow demonizing wealth and demonizing success. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus never said there was anything wrong with being wealthy. In fact, throughout all of Scripture, many of God's great leaders were wealthy. And Scripture teaches us very specific things about that we should save and that we should prepare for the future. So Jesus didn't say that this guy was a bad example because he was wealthy. 
but rather that he was a bad example for a very specific reason. Because of what he did with his wealth. That's what Jesus is focusing in on here. What this guy did with his wealth. And Jesus says this about the guy. He says the guy is greedy. Look at, look at chapter fi- verse 15. The very first verse leading into this, it sets the, story, it sets the standard for what the whole story is going to be about. Verse 15 he says, And then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. In verse 16, and he told them a parable saying. He tells the parable to teach about what greed is. He warns against greed, and then he uses the story of this rich farmer to illustrate what greed can look like. That's what's going on here. And so Jesus paints a picture of what greed can look like. He says, this guy is a greedy guy. And so what's the picture he paints of him? It's basically this, that he believed that what was... um, that what I think is so easy to believe in our society, because we watch little girls on TV say, uh, enough, I need more, 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 and more is always better than less, that he believed what our society and all societies have taught, that enough is just a little bit more. That more is always better. And he believed that all that he gained through his work was his. That he possessed it, and so he hoarded it for himself. That's really the, the, what Jesus, the picture that Jesus paints of this guy. That he believed more was better, and it was all his, and he could just hoard it in his bigger barns and keep it all for himself so that he could have a life of ease. And Jesus looks at that guy, and he does something pretty amazing. He calls him a fool. You know, Scripture, Jesus elsewhere said, don't call people fools in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus takes this opportunity, and he calls the guy a fool. Look at verse 20. It says, But God said to him, You fool! Exclamation point. This very night your soul is required of you. And now he will. Now who will own what you have prepared? And here's what I think we need to consider this morning. Why would Jesus do something that according to the Sermon on the Mount is really a stretch, is really something serious? Why would he call this guy a fool? Why would he say he's foolish? I think there's primarily two reasons he calls him foolish here. The first one is this. It's about his, under, his underpinnings, his value systems. What he believes about life. And the first one is this. He calls him a fool because he believed that wealth was more important than a walk with God. Greedy people believe this. That his wealth, or pursuit of wealth, was more important than a walk with God. That God wasn't the core of his life. That God wasn't number one for him. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, So is the man, talking about this farmer, who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. What's he talking about being rich towards God? Basically it's this. He made a choice. This guy made a choice. Between going after riches or going after a rich relationship, a full relationship with God. He chose making money as his God, as his first priority, as the core of his life. You know, and that may have made him happy for a while. He had full barns. In our world, he may have full garages with nice toys. You know, but as Jesus points out, he says it's foolish for very specific reasons. It's foolish because one day his soul would be required of him. In other words, that's, what, that's a nice way of saying you're going to die, Jack. You know, he says your soul is going to be required of you, and someone else is going to get all your wealth. 
And the question that, that Jesus wants us to think about then, it's a natural question that flows out of that statement, is then what will happen in the end with this guy? And in this case, Jesus is trying to get us to understand it won't be a very bright future. That his God, money, which is his real God, can't save his soul. That's the point Jesus is trying to make here. That he's living this whole life, which the end of this whole life really has one objective, to continue on with eternal life. And this guy's valuing something else that won't give him the eternal life, but instead will take him the other direction. And Jesus wants to understand that his God, money, can't save his soul. Look at Jesus doesn't say that a person can't achieve great financial success and still place Jesus in first place in their lives. He never says that. I have friends, a number of them, who are very wealthy. And if I look at their lives, I'll tell you this, Jesus is their core. Jesus is absolutely number one. So Jesus isn't saying that. But he does say that you can't serve two masters. That's the point. Elsewhere, this is exactly in the New Testament, it's exactly how he says it. You can't serve two masters, and he says this, you can't serve God and money. That's the point he's trying to make here. Because one has to be in first place. This man chose money over God, and his foolish decision cost him the only thing that really matters, an eternal relationship with God that affects his today, and it will affect his tomorrows. That's what, he, that's what Jesus is getting at here. He calls them foolish for doing this. You know, so, so what do we take from this ourselves? We ask ourselves, what's really in first place in my life? The pursuit of wealth or the pursuit of God? Because here's the reality. One has to be primary. Because this is how life works. One will require energy that will need to come from the pursuit of the other. That you can only pursue one thing as primary, and there's only so much energy. And your pursuit of one will always supersede the pursuit of the other. And the one you pursue with the greatest passion will take life and energy from the pursuit of the other. And so the question he's asking is, where do you put your energy? What's really first place in your life? Jesus is saying this, if you choose the one, it leads to, to bondage and calamity. Ultimately to eternal destruction. But if you choose the other it leads to freedom. That's what he's trying to get us to understand here. That if we pursue the wrong thing, it leads to the wrong end. And so he says, if you do that, it's foolish. So that's the first reason that Jesus calls this guy foolish. You know, the wealth was more important than the walk with Jesus. Pursuing wealth is more important than pursuing Jesus. But why else? Because I said there's two reasons that I really think he calls him foolish here. Why else would Jesus call this man a fool? And I think the second reason is this. Because his lifestyle or his mindset showed that he didn't really understand where his blessings came from. He didn't really understand where all of his blessings came from. Listen to how this rich man um, in the parable viewed his life. Grab your Bible again and look at um, chapters, verses 17 to 19. And I want you to pay attention to something. Pay attention to all the times he says, I and my. My, 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 I, 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 I. Pay attention to this. You maybe didn't see it when we went through it the first time. Verse 17. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Think this guy had a one-track mind? 
I and my. This guy thought something. You can see his mindset in the way the picture Jesus paints of the guy. This is his mindset. This is what he basically says. I have worked hard. I have done well. And everything is mine. Now don't we think like that sometimes? Surely the little girl in AT&T thinks that way. Because when they're saying more is always better than less, her heart of what she said was, because if you don't have more, your parents won't give you any more because there's less. It was all about she wanted more. And we think that way all the time. We make cute commercials about it. And we generally don't even, it doesn't even flash on our radar screen and say something's not right with this thinking. You know, we think this way sometimes. My house, my car, my 401k. But the question is, was that, was, was that guy correct in thinking that way? Well, Jesus wants us to understand something in the this, in this story here. No, his thinking was not correct. In fact, it was the opposite of what's true. Scripture says in the book of James, every good, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And ultimately, he's trying to get us to understand that ultimately, everything we have that we say I and mine about really is God's. It comes from him. That he didn't get, this guy didn't get that God is the owner, as we talked about last time, and that we are to be managers, and that the blessings that we have ultimately come from God. But this is the point that he's making to his disciples here. Look at, starting verse 22. 22, this, this, this whole section, I'll read 22 to 32 again. I know I'm reading this over and over, but I want you to get the point. Jesus is trying to get us to understand that, that it's all about him and his provision. Look at verse 22, and his disciples said, and he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat or to your body as to what you'll put on it. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, and they have no storeroom nor no barns, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If you then... Um, cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about the other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? Do not seek what, what you will eat or what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek first His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has, has chosen gladly to give you His kingdom. You understand the point He's trying to make there? He is showing that when we have God as our Father... When we're living in the reality of this eternal relationship with Him every day, that He's the core, He's the center, that He then gives us and will give us all that we have and all that we need, that your Father will provide for you. And here's why Jesus is pointing this out here. This rich farmer had reason to worry. This guy had reason, did you notice, as I read that, the reason I read the whole thing, four different times Jesus talks about worry, 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 worry. We get some worrying going on in the world about stuff. Four times Jesus talks about worrying, and he's basically saying this this guy, if you're not living in the right relationship, has a reason to worry because he believes 
that all he has is really his. He doesn't get that it came from God. He doesn't get that it will continue to come from God, and that God's the source. He thinks he's the source, his energy is the source, his hard work is the source, his wisdom is the source, and he believes that it all his, coming from his efforts. So guess what? Jesus is saying, so God will let him live that way. God will let him live in that false, that false thinking. But this creates a problem living in that false thinking. The problem is, then it's his responsibility to take care of things. It's his responsibility for things that he can't control. It's his responsibility to take care of things that he can't control. Because guess what? Stock markets go up and stock markets go down. Businesses boom and businesses fail. Crops get enough rain and crops dry because of a lack of rain or too much rain. Life can't be controlled. And if a person wants to live as his own God, that's what this guy is saying, he can. But it will fill his life with worry. And Jesus says that worry won't change the situation. 25 and 26. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If you then cannot even do a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Friends, you know what you find in life? There is no freedom in worry. We're, trying, we're talking about freedom. There is no freedom in worry. You know what I mean, don't you? If you're a worrier, we've all worried, right? I have. My wife tries to help me. I'm the master of worrying. It's like, it's my nature. It's my human nature to worry. And so I've constantly got to say, God, I'm, it's not about me. I'm not the source. It's all about you. You know about worry. See, when we try to be our own God... When we try to control everything, provide for everything, fix everything, then we are filled with worry and anxiety. And Jesus says it's foolish because your worry doesn't solve a thing. Friends, there's no freedom in worry. That's the point he's trying to make here. There's no freedom in worry. You see, this is what a life built upon wrong beliefs leads to. Life built upon the beliefs of little girls in commercials for AT&T. Worry and greed. That's what the life, that's what a life built on wrong beliefs leads to. Lives built upon the idea that it's all about getting more, and I'm gonna live but my life getting my stuff for me. That belief system that Jesus looks at and says, that's foolish. That's what it leads to. But I want to tell you that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus says there's something better. Jesus said we don't have to live that way. There's something better. And you know what he says is better? Abundance and generosity. This is the picture that Jesus is trying to paint here. He paints the negative first. And then he begins to paint kind of the sunrise, the beauty, the glory, the, the great. Abundance and generosity. He basically says this, I am your father and I want to take care of you. Verses 29 and 30, it's exactly what he says. He says, you're more valuable than anything. I'm your father. I'll provide for everything you need. I want to care for you. Friends, and if you're in a relationship with the father, it's different for you for you than anybody else on the planet. Because the rest of the world's got to live by their own. But when we enter into an eternal relationship with Christ, now the father, heavenly father becomes our father. And guess what the scriptures tell us? That he wants to provide for all that we need. And the good news is, is he can because he owns and he controls everything. That he is abundance, and he wants to pour that abundance into our lives. 
And friends, I've experienced it so many times as I've walked with the Lord. The miraculous provision of God in situations that looked impossible. And God just says, I'm your father. Stop worrying. I'll take care of you. You see, there is such freedom and peace when we learn to rest in this relationship that He's our providing Father and that I don't need to worry or to stress or to hoard. And that's what it is. And we know we're masters of hoarding. We say, if I can just get enough stock in that, in that retirement account. Right? I'm not against saving. But, if we think we're hoarding because we're going to provide for our future, you're wrong. You'll be filled with worry. You'll be filled with greed. You know, he's, he's our providing Father. I don't need to worry or stress or the hoard because He will give me what I need when I need it. And then Jesus says, you know, the way I know, and here's the, where's the rubber meets the road, the way I know, and that we can know for ourselves, that we are living in this trust relationship like with God is in a very specific way. You know how we know? We begin to act like our Father. And we start to give what we have received away. Begin to be generous. Look at verse 33. You think that's kind of out of place there. No, it's not. It's the, it's the sunrise of the picture that he's painting. Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make for yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven in order to put your money in heavenly things. Where no thief comes in, nor moth nor rust destroys. It's completely the opposite of our world's thinking that says, it's mine, hoard it, hoard it, hoard it. Jesus is saying this, true life, true joy, true freedom, comes from recognizing that the abundance in your life can and should be used to bless others. That's why. You get to imitate your Heavenly Father. You get to act like God Himself. Friends, there is freedom when we really believe that enough is what I have, instead of believing that enough is just a little bit more. And what I have can be then used to bless others, to make other people happy. Friends, I'll tell you this is true. I have never met a happy and free, greedy person. I've never met a person who's all worried about gathering to themselves. And you don't have to have a ton of of finances to be this way. You can be very limited resources or very great resources and be very greedy and consumed with this. I've never met a greedy, worrying person who had a sense of freedom in their life. But when I meet someone who realizes that their Heavenly Father loves to bless them so that they can then bless, bless others, I see their freedom and I see their joy. You know, I know that this teaching of Jesus is completely the opposite of what the world teaches. Humanity believes that life consists of the abundance of possessions, and then Jesus says just the opposite. He says it doesn't consist of the abundance of possessions. Verse 15 that we read. But let me ask you this in closing. Are you personally, let's talk, let's talk about the guy in the story. Are you personally filled with worry and filled with greed inside. You might mask it, but really it's all about hoarding because you're worried that you're not going to have enough. And you're dissatisfied with what you have and you want more all the time. You're just never settled. You always say, I'd just be happy if I finally got that thing. If that's true, I want you to try something. First of all, 
take time to do inventory, basically, and thank God for what He's already given you. Sit back and thank God for He's already given you, and then do something bold. Take some of it, what that it is, and give it to someone who has even less than you have. And it's not hard to find somebody who has less. Give something to someone else, and then ask yourself a question after you did it. Say, do I feel happier and freer or sadder? I will promise you this. You will feel happier and freer. Because the Bible tells something, it doesn't say it's possible, it says it's truth. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And you will find out, you will receive the blessing of God. You'll also find this out. Something that you've been afraid to try before. You will find out that if you, if you take your blessings, you give them away, God just gives you more blessings. I have a very wealthy friend who just has probably given more money to charity than any person I ever know. And one day I was with him. It was kind of funny. We were shopping in a grocery store, and he was, had coupons. And I'm like thinking, you use coupons? And he says, yeah, I felt like the Lord wanted me to start using coupons because I need to start saving money. And I'm thinking, why? You know? He goes, because I'm just giving this away. And he was giving away this incredibly huge sum of money. And I said, how can you give that away? And he said, he looked at me like I was from Mars. He said, Mark, it's only money. I can always make more. And I'm thinking, what? And it was a time that God really struck me. And this guy, he says, man, I just can't handle it. Every time I give money away, God just gives me more back. And I keep getting more, so I keep giving it away, and he keeps giving me it back. And I learned from watching this guy's life that God is really telling the truth here. But here's the deal. We believe the commercials, but we honestly don't believe the book. Jesus is the one who said, the rich farmer is wrong, his thinking is wrong, and so he says to, to correct the wrong, take your abundance and sell it and give it away. He's not saying impoverish yourself. Remember, that's why two times in the sermon I said, he's not against being wealthy. Matter of fact, I believe God wants to make people wealthy so that they can give it away. That's why he brings wealth into people's lives. The rich farmer didn't get it in the story, but we need to get it. And if you'll do this, if you'll take inventory and thank God for all your incredible blessings, compare yourself to the whole rest of the world who has almost nothing, and then take some of it and give it to someone who has less, I'm promising you, you're going to feel freer and happier. And pretty soon what happens is, that stuff that holds like, like chains on you, the chains begin to open up. You start to recognize, this stuff isn't important. The stuff isn't important. And all you really say is, what I want is, I want to be rich towards God. I want this vibrant, healthy, real, loving, present relationship with God, and nothing else matters in your life. Jesus being the core. And you'll be freer and happier than you've ever been. Freedom from greed and worry to abundance and generosity. Friends, God wants you to be free and blessed. That's His plan for you. But we've got to listen to what he teaches in the book, right? And it's a challenge. Because the cute little girls on the AT&T commercials tell us the opposite. Now, I probably have ruined those commercials for you forever. <laughs> They're still cute. But just think, do they line up with what God is saying? Amen? Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Let's just close in prayer. Whenever I tackle something like this, it's a challenge because I know I'm going to be talking about something that's the opposite of what the culture around us believes and 
And the culture has done such a good job of teaching us that oftentimes we don't believe God's word. And I want us to just be able to embrace God's word and say it's really true and then take steps of faith to, to, to embrace it with our lives. And so I try to give you a practical way to do that um, at the end of our sermon. Pray with me this morning. Father, I thank you that in your word that you said, the word we read today, that you care for us. That, as a matter of fact, these are the words you said, we're more valuable to you than you think to a bird. We're more valuable to you than anything else. That we are the most valuable, your people. And you love us. And you want what's best for us. And you want to provide for us. You want to give us abundance. But you would you never want to give us abundance, God. And this is the thing that I think we wrestle with. So that we can then be chained by things that will actually rob our relationship with you. And so God, sometimes we sit and we say, how come I'm, I live in lack? And in reality, it's because you know our hearts. You know that if you gave us abundance, it would be like chains holding us back. Because we wouldn't get the fact that you give us abundance to give it away. And we would think it's just about spending it on ourselves. To try to somehow make ourselves happy. And that wouldn't make us happy. So it would actually take us further from you. So God, this is what I pray. Change our hearts and cause us to really believe your word. So that Lord, when you bless us, as you bless us, as you provide for us. That God, we would be generous. That the abundance that you give us, and God, we live in a place in a world where there's not one of us, even they could say we don't have abundance. We have food to eat, we have abundance. We have a house to live in, we have abundance. But that God, you give that to us so we can give it away. And God, I pray this, I pray that you would prove in people's lives that this week some would take this to heart and they would do the experiment and they would say, I'm going to try to take, I'm going to take an inventory and then I'm going to give something away. I'm going to, I'm going to help somebody else. And, and Lord, as we do that, that joy and freedom would fill their souls. There'd be a freedom from, from worry. A freedom from this need to hoard. A freedom, of saying, a freedom from saying mine. And it's an openness to say it's God's. All of it.